How to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 442, where I sat down with actor David Jossi. You guys have seen this man around for a while. He's been in everything from Interstellar, where he's one of the starring roles after meeting Nolan on his last film, The Dark Knight Rises. He's in Cloud Atlas, Annihilation. And recently, he is the Foreign Secretary, Austin Dennison, in the series The Diplomat on Netflix. Uh, if it's your first time here, I want to say hello to you. We're doing a new kind of format now where I'm actually got my producer on, Marianne. She's going to tell us a little bit about what she thought about this episode. I see some great notes here. So we both uh, listened to this recently and really enjoyed everything David had to say. What kind of stood out to you about maybe like his parents or his, some of his motivations for acting? Actually, I thought he does some really interesting stuff when he was talking about working with Christopher Nolan. You asked him at some point, like, how he feels when meeting, like, stars like Nolan. And, like, he said when he met him or when he was doing the audition, all he thought was, well, I'm in this room. I'm only going to think about this. And I thought that was such a, like, an important thing to say or, like, a really good advice. And that, like, has kept ringing in my head since, since I heard it. Especially because I'm, like, a really anxious person, so that, that really struck a chord um, to me. Like, that, I, I really like that when he said that. Yeah, I really love that part, and I won't, I won't cut to any spoilers here, but he, he does really cut the safety net just to get in that first interview, just to meet Nolan. And of course, it did pay off as he later was one of the main characters in Interstellar. And of course, his career has really taken off since then. So one other thing I want to kind of transition, I asked David about how he thinks about auditioning. And it's not so much about being the perfect fit for the role. It's what you can bring to it. A lot of great actors have said that. So make sure to look out for that story. And it's actually part of how I teach people how to apply to jobs. So if you've never, if you're interested in freelancing, I do have a new uh, course about how to get started on Upwork, how to make six figures on Upwork. You can follow me to learn more about this on Instagram over at Brock Swinson. You also find the link tree there. You can actually find a free four part episode series about how to get started as a freelancer on Upwork. And that's also at brockswinson.com slash Upwork. But enough of that, let's jump onto the call. Here's my conversation with David about acting, The Diplomat, Interstellar, and more. I did a school play and I said my first line and my ego jumped out of my body and went, whoa. That was when I was about 16. But um, before that, uh, my, um, I was in nursery in nursery like kindergarten and we did a we did a play and i played a um i played an african chief and uh my my cousin is now the the reigning chief of the village that we're from but at the time my uncle was there and he fascinated me and i just basically based this character on him as a nursery school kid i just felt like powerful like my uncle and regal and glorious and um 
and I remember that. I remember, and I've seen a picture of it, and I remember feeling that. And so then my nursery nurse uh, teacher called my parents in and said, you, you know, you should really take this kid to a drama school because he has something. And my dad said to her, what? Uh, and she said, it's, it's a drop school. It's where they go and they study theatre. He said, I did not come to this country for my son to do concert. And we were quickly sent away <laughs> to another school, which is very academic. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't revisit it again until that play, really. So I think as well as my ego, there was obviously something that was kind of, I don't even think it was awakened in me. I think it was just, it just made sense. Um, and there were different elements to why it made sense. Uh, I love the camaraderie. I love that on sets. And there's something about the camaraderie of a, of a, of a group, of a troupe of players um, playing and, and presenting a story. Um, did your parents want the doctor lawyer route? What did they kind of want for you? you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That classic, um, you know, Jeannie Asheray puts it beautifully, doesn't she? She says, you know, there's three professions for immigrant African parents. There's like a lawyer, a doctor, or a failure. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was, I was allowed to be an engineer as well. I was the I was the sibling that would change the light bulbs or hang the pictures up or uh, or do you know do the, the, the practical stuff so they were like mm, <clears throat> you change the light bulbs you can be an engineer or <laughs> a doctor or a lawyer so um so yeah did you find yourself as like a teenager maybe did you kind of have to go down two paths until you quote made it like one for your parents one for yourself yeah yeah definitely like um and i get it as well you know like my my parents arrived in england and uh and had like let's say uh a level qualifications but then were told they're not enough mm. and so you have to go back and repeat or um they're not valid here and so they i think they constantly felt like over here that there was an element of being unseen or unrecognized and so i get why you know it's no coincidence that all six of their children went to university they were very clear that we don't care what you do but you have to get a degree to do it that's that was their thing so i understand that and i and i respected it i saw how hard they worked and it was always that thing of like you're gonna have to work hard at some point in your life so either you do it now or you're going to spend a lot of a long time doing it afterwards mm. so for them but i also knew that it was for us as well it's just that i worked out that it was shortly before my time of studying at degree level that they started allowing drama schools to issue degrees and also um and also would have degree courses in universities and my university was an old polytechnic which is slightly different um back in the day it was like almost like somewhere in between a college and a university but then by the time I got there it was established as a university um and I got to do my degree in acting uh, in performing arts which ticked that box for dad and and also ticked that box for me in terms of like 
just having an inkling of what this profession might obviously there's so much more that you learn once you get into it but just having an inkling of what what the profession might hold did you see it um at that stage as inevitable success meaning that if you just kept putting in the work you would find some lane that you could make a career out of like how did what was your mindset when you were kind of breaking mm. in so i had my first child when i was 19 was about to go to university so what that what that meant Brock was there was no safety net like what I wasn't going to do was let my child go hungry and not have food and nappies so but I felt like and possibly because of and I'm just thinking this through now so forgive me if it's not so succinct and articulate as we would like it to be but probably through seeing what my parents had to struggle to do and not necessarily do the jobs of their dreams somehow that had translated to me that I wanted to be doing the job of my dreams mm -hmm. and for my kids to see that and so going to university having already had my first child uh, and my and my wife, we were that we were married at that point. Then made me think I need to make this work. So I'm gonna give it everything. So every lesson, every workshop, every dance class, every movement, every voice class was me going. This this means more. This has to mean a lot. Um, and then just yeah just not and you know this is no comment on anyone else everyone else is working really hard um of course they are um so that just made that just kind of uh spurred me on more and knowing that you know my time was limited because once my daughter was awake then I wanted to spend time with her so I'd just get up extra early and put in time there um, and, and work work there work out then think maybe read then do those kind of things um so yes yeah, so i think someone a friend of mine once said to me uh that you know uh luck is good luck is where hard work meets opportunity um and that just always stuck with me and i know that's yeah yeah that's that's how it's been for me I uh, I help novice writers kind of break into freelance and uh, there's a kind of a juxtaposition mm. of the hunger to get the work, but then you kind of have to play a little bit cool when it's actually in the interview. And I imagine the audition is exactly the same or very similar. How do you balance those two? Or is it just, is that what acting is? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. So I try to, um, so like the diplomat, when, when that came about, that was an odd moment for me because it was, it was an odd moment because we had had offers on the table and offers that were coming in. So what I said to myself is for that, for this moment, for this 15, 20 hour that I'm in the room with these people, that's all I'm going to think about. I'm going to, and I'm going to, really delve in and explore being this character and and workshopping or working through what what this could look like for us right going on this journey 
And then when I'd come away, I'd sort of was thinking I'd let my team work out which way we we want to go with it. So I think for me, when I go into that room, I I give everything in that moment. And then I just sort of allow, because obviously there's, my agents will be explaining to the casting director that this and this and this is happening. So, um, you know, just be aware of that. So I kind of don't need to do the, the cool playing thing at mm -hmm. the moment. Mm -hmm. um, in, in other times, I'm curious about like the trends. I think you were in one of the Batman movies as a smaller character and then you're in yeah. Interstellar. So I'm like, tell me about that transition working with Nolan on those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. So actually that that is the poster from The Dark Knight Rises. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's up there is because I was cut from that movie. Oh. Um, but I I remember getting the call about that movie two hours after I was contemplating giving up the profession. Um, so it's, it's there because that's, that's the way up to my study. And so that's the first thing I see in before I come um, to get to work, you know. Um, so that transition was, was, was phenomenal really because that batman movie again two hours before i was thinking of giving up the pressure about a year before i got the call i decided to come to america because i felt like i needed to expand my horizons and needed to expand the opportunities that i had and i felt like hollywood was is the biggest um part of our industry um, you know, so I felt like I needed to be there and feel and taste what that was like. So I remember being out there and I didn't, I was, I'd, I'd gone out there. I'd, I'd had a trip to get an, an agent out there, got myself a manager. And then this was my first trip with a manager in tow. And I'd said to this manager, like, I'm coming out and I sort of, you know, cleared our savings account to pay for four weeks for me to be in America and I didn't have any auditions. And then the one audition I had was for The, the Dark Knight and, uh, and it came through and I just thought, I'm going to give this everything. So I just stayed up all night. Because Nolan writes audition pieces it's not directly taken from the script it's like a piece that will give you an essence of who the character is you know um so i stayed up all night and it was such a beautiful monologue i stayed up all night learning doing it backwards walking backwards walking to the side walking out in this garden you know and weirdly enough where it made the most sense to me was to uh, to to sit on a chair and do the audition, and um, and so I kind of I kind of went in and did this, and um, John Papsidero was like, "Dude, are you?" And he 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 actually cried in the audition, which was very moving. 
I was supposed to be on a plane the next day. He said, how long are you here for? I said, I'm leaving tomorrow. He said, right, I need you to come in and meet Chris and, uh, and Emma. Wow. So, so in answer to your original question of like holding back and playing it cool, that was my one audition. I'd cleared my savings account. There was no playing that cool. I'm, I'm in America for a reason. So that's, that's how that went. Then when I got in the room with Chris and Emma, I felt like I wasn't present. I was just very aware I was in front of Christopher Nolan and uh, Emma Thomas. And I just was so aware of that. But thankfully, they undenied and then they cast me in a little role. And then um, and then I saw Chris on a red carpet and he uh, I'm just my brain just going, oh, how did the two things happen? So then I saw him on a red carpet and he said to me, um, I'm really sorry, uh, but we've had to cut you from the film. And honestly, bro, I didn't have any anger or resentment or pain about that because when I got offered the film what that had done for me the level of affirmation that that had given me at that time straight away it dropped in my head that that's what this opportunity was about hmm. and um and I said it's absolutely fine like I had a great time meeting you and and he and I could see he was, he sort of took it to be, he said, thank you for taking it that well. And he said, and I'm sure we'll find something else to do together. Cut to a few years later, um, Interstellar comes about and I get the call and um, we are where we are. Before we get to the latest, I do want to, uh, about Interstellar, all of his movies are about time. Your character in particular is really one who's like embodying that maybe better than all the other characters he's mm. left alone for decades how did you prepare for that role how did you think about aging and some of those things mm. well uh not very well is the answer so uh, <laughs> i uh i uh it, well in all in all seriousness i probably took it a bit too far because there was nothing in the script that spoke about Romney's family spoke you know you had the letters to McConaughey's character and you had the letters to the videos to Anne Hathaway's character nothing for Romney's so I just thought to myself what happens if this dude has really put all of his time and effort into work mm. into science and not thought about the other aspects of, of life, family, uh, friends. Um, and so that then, you know, he had this kind of unkept hair and beard that kind of lent into that for me. Like he just doesn't care about this stuff. It's all about the work, the work, the work, the work, the work. And then I thought that that's then quite interesting, isn't it? If suddenly the work, the work, the work, and then there's nothing. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of time to think about that. Mm. And so when they come back on, um, I kind of felt like he'd been so, yeah, I kind of just felt like he'd been so um, away with his thoughts and time to contemplate that 
is the even thinking are they real is this a mirage is this what is that so when it when they first said rolling i kind of went into this very very old romley and chris was like cut david it's it's 23 years not 50. And so then uh, so then we landed where we landed and um yeah I, you know to this day people still talk about that moment and uh, obviously that is that's chris's genius writing and, and brilliance of, of putting that in there but if if maybe my process had a small bit to do with how impactful that that was i'll take it yeah, there's a great tension in that because there's all the action on the planet, but they come back and we know that you're kind of waiting there. Um, well, let's skip ahead. You've done so many great roles, but what stood out to you about this role of foreign secretary and the diplomat? Um, the the writing, I think, was. It was like, yeah, like I say, at the time, I was looking at a lot of materials. I was just coming off of a, a long contract. My availability was suddenly there. And that was quite exciting to see what we could fill that with. So I was looking at a lot of material, but this material just sung off the page at me. I think it was the wit. I think it was um, just the understanding of... of of humans, humanity, uh, in, in the interaction between the different characters felt different to me, you know? Um, and then at the time to play a foreign secretary that looked like me um, was like, that was new, you know, we've since in our country had four or five and two of them kind of have similar skin tone to me. so. Uh, not as new, but at the time I found that interesting. I found the political party that he was in interesting. This is not necessarily a political party that I would be associated with, uh, not necessarily, but um, I found that whole kind of dynamic um, something I, I wanted to dig into, like, you know some of the policies that come from the political party in our piece mm -hmm. um I, I just wondered how how someone like Denison kind of aligns himself with that uh supports that um gets behind it or is there something else going on and I found that when I spoke with with Deborah um she said she said a couple she said lots of things that really made me think and were really impressive and one of those things that she said to me is you know david i have to believe that there are there are good republicans and there are bad republicans and there are good democrats and there are bad democrats and she said what's what's interesting about the good on on both sides of the coin is they may find themselves in a situation where there's a leader of that party that is so extreme one way and is actually driving us into oblivion mm. and um and there are good people in those parties that say not in my name and that's a noble place to take that's a no a noble position to take so they jump off the ship and they then hold a placard and say, look, this is what's going on. You all should be aware of this. I couldn't commit to that. 
And then she said that there are others that um, that actually decide to stay and decide to be a voice of reason within there and try to help steer the ship back onto a course that is more palatable, more beneficial for the people that this ship is serving. Mm. And uh, she said, I think Denison is in that camp. And I thought that's something that I would love to, to take a look at. Do you see that as sort of a, a North Star? Like, I'm just thinking of this character, maybe first and foremost, he has ideals and he seems to be a gentleman, but that comes off as subtle responses. And like, how did, like, do you have one thing that you defined and then outwardly define the rest of his choices? How do you think about this character from that point of view? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one thing that, defines his choices is something to do with integrity and it's something to do with an awareness of his upbringing so we spoke a lot about that what kind of upbringing would he have had and we landed at the point where he would have similar to me had immigrant parents that worked really hard and that he would be aware acutely aware of the struggle that they took and acutely aware of how certain policies certain decisions affected his parents and the community in which they lived but he was sent away to boarding school so he he would have had one foot in a in another kind of forum another experience of living and so seeing these two experiences um and not leaning in one and forgetting the other and vice versa but taking those into the room with him is what allows him to put his shoulders back and actually have some kind of power and credibility and knowledge that no one is coming from Mm. from this this perspective and this angle and i'm here to represent that and so that in its in its way, I think, is actually where true diplomacy and democracy lives, like having an understanding of maybe the two sides or the three sides or the four sides of the same, the same, it wouldn't be a coin if it had four sides. Although technically it depends what it would, wouldn't it? It would have four sides, right? Um, so, yeah the four sides of the coin, understanding all of that. And then how do we, how do we move that forward? And I think that that gives him a sort of poise and a, and a, and a presence and a a time to consider before he speaks. Um, And then starts to just inform the way he moves, the rhythm with which he speaks and, um, and what he says. So I would say that that probably is what defines him. Um, my, I, I use a watch in the in the program, which is actually my own personal watch that was given to me when I was 30 by my brother and my parents. And it, it has an inscription on the side of it, which is basically a, a, a Bible verse, which says you're the head and not the tail. And literally what that was, what that was about was, you know, they were just aware that we are we're going to go in rooms where 
it might not on the outside seem like that, but you know in here and in here, in your head and in your heart, that you come from and you come from a stock, a very rich stock of of people, of fighters, of survivors, of kings and queens, and the shoulders that you stand on are not weak. So um, I think that that's something that Dennison and I lean on together. I'll just do one more. That that was excellent. Um, you've given so much great advice already. Thinking back to when you were kind of getting started, there there was no safety net situation mm -hmm. for you. But do you have any advice for maybe young minority actors trying to break in today about perseverance? Mm. Um, I think firstly, I think that it's it is a really exciting time. I just saw. Uh, a show advertised that I thought, wow, and it's called Supercell, which is on like coming on Netflix. And it's uh, written by a guy called Rap Ban, um, who I think did Blue Story. Um, and I just think the work and the openness out there at the moment. Um, two untold stories unique stories different voices um is really vibrant and exciting so i think enjoy that excitement enjoy um relishing in who you are and your uniqueness you know because that is that's what the world needs to see um and it i think it's the that poem, uh, I forget her surname, but it's about it, and Nelson Mandela quoted it, about not shining your light um, under a bushel, but actually shining your light so that others may be able to like step forward. But um, that's a horrible mis <laughs> like mis paraphrase, but, um, I think it's I think it's about that about really embracing who we are and like what our our instinct is and um and going for it you know going for it if I think back to that audition where I perched on this stool it was it was a stool and it was not very balanced but that made it exciting for the for the piece um for the audition yeah just really really go for it um because it's it's what we want to hear. It's what, the, it's what the world needs from artists. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's a digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.